Chapter One of Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Davis. Seven Autumn Leaves from Fairyland by E. Cunningham. Chapter One The Mermaid. Three little girls looked down from a balcony at Nice on the blue and sparkling waters of the Mediterranean. Papa, they said. Have mermaids ever lived in the sea? No doubt, he answered, as much as in any sea. And now I think of it, I remember a story of one beginning once upon a time. Did you ever hear it? Oh, no, they cried, do tell us. Well, then. Once upon a time, within these very blue waters, there lived a little mermaid. It was a long, long ago, and in these present days the sun is so very bright, and men know so much, and are so troublesome with their questions, that the mermaids have all gone away even from this nice sea and you and I, if we went to look for them, would not be able to find a single one far or near. But at the time I speak of, there was a dear little mermaid with golden hair and pink cheeks like coral, who lived in the sea, and her particular business was to pick up all the little children that came floating along, and take care of them, and make them grow up into little mermen and maids. One day, as she sat on the yellow rocks just above the sea foam, combing her long hair with a coarse-toothed comb that took out the tangles without hurting her too much, she saw something white on the water a long way off. I wonder if it is a baby, she thought. She sat yet a little, and then it looked like a wreath of seaweed. But she looked again, and it was like a shell, and at least she saw clearly that it was a shell with something in it. So she stuck her comb in a crack in the rock and swam off. When she came to it, sure enough it was a shell, the shell of a great turtle, and in the shell, which was flat and broad like a soup plate, was the loveliest little baby boy the mermaid had ever seen, lying asleep, wrapped in a blue mantle with silver stars on it. The mermaid was very much pleased, and she fastened the ends of her long yellow hair to the shell by two little holes she found, and swimming away with all her might, she soon towed it to the rock. Now in this rock was a cave where the sea flowed in, making the floor of water, and then the rocks closed overhead all except one little hole near the top, where the sun and stars could look in. She pulled the shell into the cave, and then went for her comb, which she had left on the rock, you know. Then she put a leaf on the comb, and blew, and made music, soft and sweet, till the baby awoke. He opened a pair of the nicest blue eyes you ever saw, and smiled at the mermaid, for he liked the music and liked her pretty face too. So they became great friends, and grew into a boy, bigger and bigger, but she never let him go out of the cave, except in a small round hollow where the sun shone, to sun himself sometimes, and all the food she gave him was little fishes that were dried in the hot sun. By and by, when he had got large and strong, he wanted to go away, but when he said so, the little mermaid shook her head and said, no, unless he would become a merman, and then he might go where he liked. But he did not want to be a merman, and have a great fin growing out of the small of his back, and always live in the sea. And so, though he loved the little mermaid very much, and besides did not see how he should ever get away, he always said, no, in his turn. But one day as he was sitting in the cave, and the mermaid had gone to get some dried fish, he heard a chirp-chirp. He looked up, and a small blue bird with a silver star on its breast was sitting on the edge of the hole that led in the light. "'I have come for you,' said the bird. "'How are you to get me?' said he. "'Tell your mistress that you mean to be a merman, and she will have to go a thousand miles for the fin, and while she is gone you can get away.' Then the blue bird flew away just in time, for in came the mermaid by the water road with the dried fish. "'I have changed my mind, and I will be a merman,' said he. That is good news, cried she, but I must go a thousand miles to get your fin, and mind nothing happens to you while I am gone, or I shall break my heart. 
She dove into the water, and for a moment he saw the golden gleam of her yellow hair, and then she was gone. In flew the bluebird again, for, though hidden, she was all the time watching. Come, said she, no time to lose, climb out, climb out. But the sides of the cave were steep and high, and though the young man tried hard and was active and strong, he never would have got up if the bird had not floated down to him a little blue feather from one of its wings. Put it under your chin, said she, and it will hold you up. And so it did, and he reached the free air at last. Everything looked very beautiful to him, coming out of the dark cave. Such a great wide ocean, such lovely soft clouds, such a glorious far-reaching sun, and he felt very impatient to leave the bare rocks and go away. But how was he to float on the water? He was not a merman yet, and could not live in the sea, nor could he fly. But the clever bird helped him. Do you see that big shell? she said. You must make a boat of that. In truth, it was the very turtle shell that he had floated in as a little baby, though he did not know it, having never seen it since. It was too small to bear his great weight, now that he was a man, but with the bird to show him, he soon found two logs that the waves had thrown on the rocks, and he bound the shell on the top and made a very nice float. But just as they were ready to start, he bethought of himself his good friend, the mermaid, and what she had said about breaking her heart if she found, when she came back, that anything had happened to him. He stepped upon the rocks again and said he would not go after all. Now, I dare say, you have already seen through this little bird and know, out of your own heads, that she was a fairy in disguise. So she was a very good fairy, and she was glad to see that the young man was true-hearted, for she knew in a moment why he changed his mind. But she wanted to try him well, so she asked, Why not? Because I loved my little mermaid, and though I can never become a merman, I will not break her heart. Now listen, said the bird, and don't be foolish. Your mother is a friend of mine, and a great queen, and you are a prince. When you were a baby, you were carried off by a bad man, and nobody knew where to find you. But your mother believed you were alive, and came to me for help, for I am a fairy. And for these fifteen years I have been flying about to find you. I asked that foolish son, and he said, yes, he had seen you, but could not remember where. I wasted three years in flying to him. Then I went to the stars, who are more clever, and I was ten years flying about among them. And at last I found one keen little star that had looked in your face through the round hole while you were sleeping, and she told me. It was my blue mantle that you were wrapped in when you were stolen and set afloat, and but for that you would have been overwhelmed by the waves. Now, after all this trouble, are you going to stay behind just for one little mermaid? Then the prince was very much troubled in mind, but for all that he answered, She has been good to me, and loves me, and I will not break her heart. The fairy was much pleased at seeing him so resolute, though she knew it would bring him into great danger, as you will see by and by. You can go with me, she said, and still not lose her for if you leave her a lock of your hair, she can find you and come to you. But if you do, you can never wear any hair again, but must cut it off, even to your eyebrows and mustache, and throw it in the sea once a week, else the merman can catch you and pull you into the deep water, if there is so much as one single lock to hold by. Now the prince's hair was the most beautiful that ever man had, but he said not a word, but cut off a lock, and the bird carried it in her mouth and laid it in the cave with a stone on it, that it might not blow away. Then the prince got into the boat, keeping the little blue feather, and as the blue bird flew before, the boat followed on the sea behind until the rocks disappeared from sight. The beautiful green land was reached, and he stepped on shore. Oh, how delightful he thought the grass and trees were, and how curious the cows and sheep, and all the animals, for he had grown up a tall man and had never before seen any living thing, only his little mermaid and the birds. Cut off your hair quickly, said the bird. They may be after us any moment. He cut his hair close to his ears, 
and threw it into the sea, and then they went on to the great city. When the queen saw her son, she was happy as any mother in the world, for he was very gay and handsome, and she called all her people to look at him, and made him sit on the throne with her. The fairy, however, said nothing about the mermaid, and you may be sure the prince did not, and it troubled his mother very much that he would shave his head once a week, and send the hair by a careful messenger to be thrown into the sea. Now as all the kings and princes of the world wore long hair, this was a sad trial to the queen, but the prince could not tell her the reason, as that would only have made matters worse. As you and I know all about the little mermaid, we understand the reason very well, but the queen, not knowing, could only think he was wrong in his head, or he would not do so strange a thing. We must now go back to the mermaid. She traveled a thousand miles, and back very quickly, bringing the fin and a great number of her friends, mermen and mermaids, to welcome the new merman. But when they came there, he was gone. Her heart was just about to break, for she loved him very much, when she saw the lock of hair on the stone. She caught it up and kissed it, but the merman wanted it also, saying, Now we can have him when we like, for we have got his hair. But she held it so that no one could take it, and threw only one strand up into the air and watched the way it blew, and then she knew where he had gone. So they all swam after, but when they reached the shore, he had already shaved his head, and so was safe from them all for that time. But in those days, if any man or woman gave the merpeople any of their hair, then, whenever a strand was sent to them, they must come down to the seashore wherever they were, and they must always keep their heads shaved. So, by and by, when the mermaid thought she could not live any longer without seeing the prince, she sent him one of his own brown hairs to bring him to the seashore, charging her messenger to see that his hair was closely shaved, even to his mustache and his eyebrows. Now the queen had got herself into such a state of mind about her son's hair that she had sent messengers all over the country, promising that if any man could cure her son of cutting his hair, his eyebrows, and his mustache, she would marry him, and if any woman could cure him, that woman should marry the young prince himself. The queen was rather old and plain-looking, so there was not much trouble in consequence from men. But the prince, being very handsome, so women came with their cures hoping to marry him, that he could scarcely move out of his mother's house for fear of being suffocated by the crowds of lovely creatures who were always waiting about the door. All the time the prince did not fail to remember the little mermaid, and he had no wish to be cured. So when he got the strand of hair, he was glad to creep quietly out of the house before daylight, when there was no one watching, and hastened down to the seashore. There he found the little mermaid sitting with her feet in the water, combing her hair as usual, and very glad to see him. They told each other all their troubles, for she had hers also. Her friends were angry with her because she had lost the prince she had taken care of so long, and also because she still liked him. But never mind, she said cheerfully, if you are afraid of nothing, I can cure you and you can cure me all at the same time. If you can pull the fin out of my back, I can become a woman and live with you. And if you get back the lock of hair you gave me, your hair can safely grow again. Let me try the fin, he cried hastily. That would be in vain, she answered, for it can only be done in the deepest cavern of the sea when I am asleep, and only there by a living man. And alas, the pain will be like tearing out my heart. How can I give you so great pain, he said, and besides, how can I go there? for I cannot breathe in the water, and the mermen and great sea creatures would stop me if I could. No matter for the pain, said she, and to get there, you must live on dew for three days, and I will make a rope of single strands of your hair all the way down. And as long as you hold by that, and are not frightened, nobody and nothing can harm you. And for the lock of hair I shall have it, and when once I am a woman I can give it back. So it was agreed, and he concealed himself for three days and lived on dewdrops. On the morning of the fourth day, he went to the seashore, and there, 
After looking in the water a while, he saw a thin brown thread floating, and he knew it was the strand of his hair. He plunged in head foremost, and sliding his hand along the hair, which became very firm and stiff, he went deeper and deeper, far down into the blue water. Very soon all sorts of monstrous fish and curious and awful-looking sea creatures began to press against him and rub him with their slippery bodies and open their wide mouths at him. But he kept a brave heart, held fast to the strand, and still descended. Then crowds of mermen pressed about him and struck him with their strong fins, but without avail. Still he sank deeper, deeper, till at last he reached the deep-sea cavern, and there was his dear little mermaiden, lying fast asleep. He held the brown strand carefully in one hand, and then with the other, with all his might and mane, he tore the fin from out her back. Oh, what an awful scream she gave as he did so, and she awoke. He was so startled he nearly lost the strand. She caught him round the neck. Hold me fast, and hold fast the strand, she cried, or we are lost. And then into the cavern rushed all the creatures that crawl on the bottom of the sea, and the fierce mermen and such a dreadful noise and tumult arose that the young prince was glad enough to find that they were sliding quickly up the strand of hair. The water was full of angry creatures that snatched and clashed their teeth at them, but could not drag them away. They reached the top at last and popped out into the clear sun and sweet air. On the rock sat an old woman with pleasant, kindly eyes and silver hair, and she received the little mermaid, now no longer a mermaid, and wrapped her in a blue robe with silver stars, and threw back into the sea her sea-green dress. And the prince knew by the blue mantle that it was his fairy godmother. She looked at them kindly and sang, by faith most true and heart most bold, he drew you from the water cold. Ye have his heart to gain his hand. You still must learn the ways of land. Have still to win by woman's wit, or by his side you'll never sit. The old woman held out her hand. The maiden hesitated a moment, then drew from one of her little ears the lock of hair, and gave it to the prince, looked at him with tearful eyes, took the fairy's hand, and they separated. The prince, who knew his love was in good hands, hastened home to comfort his mother. He told her that he had been bathing, and he was quite wet enough to prove it, and he sat upon the throne daily with her, and gave justice to the people. Stella, as the fairy called her, went with the seeming old woman to a little brown house near the sea, where they lived like country people, and she learned to eat and drink properly, and to bake and brew, to spin and weave. But the prince, though no longer in danger, still shaved his head, his eyebrows, and mustache. One day came a maiden to the queen, wrapped in a blue robe with stars of silver, but with so thick a veil over her face that no one could see whether she was ugly or beautiful. O oh, queen, she said, I alone can cure the prince, your son. If you do, he shall marry you, said the queen, though you are as ugly as the bark of an ash tree, for the queen was a very strong-minded woman. Then the prince was sent for, and as soon as he saw the blue robe with silver stars, he knew more about the matter, a good deal, than the queen did. Kneel, said the maiden. The prince kneeled. She touched his head with her hand, and said that in a month he would be well. Then everyone rejoiced, and the queen made a fine room ready, and the veiled maiden lived there, and learned to sew and to make buttonholes, and embroider and crochet, and in short, all that young women do, being as busy as a bee all day long. And the queen saw that every day the prince's hair grew and grew, and he no longer cut it off, so she knew he was cured. At the end of the month she ordered the most beautiful clothes that were ever seen, and having heard of Cinderella and her glass slippers, she ordered a pair of them, and she sent them all to the maiden's room. When the morning came that they were to be married, behold, Stella appeared from the room with her face unveiled, lovely beyond telling, with her beautiful golden hair braided in a way that was never seen in that country before, with a glittering dress that the queen had sent her, and with the glass slippers on her feet, 
Everybody said that of all the beautiful ladies they had ever seen, she was the most beautiful, and nobody ever knew that she had been a mermaid except her husband and the good fairy. They were married before all the people and were good and happy all their lives. That was what happened to a Mediterranean mermaid. Oh, what a perfect dear, sighed Mary. All but the fin, said Paul. I mean the prince, said Mary. Oh, said Paul. End of chapter one. Recording by Ben Davis.